Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. And welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question. Yes, Erin. How hard do you think it would be to bribe the World Meteorological Organization into only naming storms after people who annoy me? I feel like it's 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 a fight worth taking up. Okay, because I was doing some research into this this week. It's like, what if hurricanes were only named after my enemies? And It's not the National Hurricane Center that names hurricanes. It's the World Meteorological Organization. And they have like a list that is strictly controlled and it's on a six-year rotation. I just would need to figure out who's working there, figure out how much I can buy them for. Maybe it's like, um, maybe it's like FIFA and it's really easy to bribe people. (laughs) Or the Olympics. Okay, let's get to the show. On today's episode, Riri Cheney and Sharente Harris join to tackle the following questions. When he talks like a misogynist and acts like a misogynist, why is it so hard for some people to believe a guy on their own side politically might be a misogynist? What's stronger, hope or fear? And which adult Trump child is the family's least valuable player? All this and more right now. Let's get to the news, Alyssa. It's been another huge week for creeps who think they should be in charge of things. So that's exciting. Uh, Several big weeks for creeps in a row, but we've got another one. Have you been following this Aaron Coleman stuff? I mean, how can I not? Yeah. Okay. So for listeners who have mercifully been spared this story, because it's an awful one, Uh, Last week, 19-year-old Aaron Coleman was declared the winner in his primary to be the Democratic candidate for a seat in the Kansas House of Representatives. He won by 14 votes. He's a progressive. Um, But wait, Uh, Coleman, it turns out when he was in middle school, was a bit of a shit. He told a sixth grade classmate that she was fat and should kill herself. And the girl eventually did try to kill herself. Um, Another woman says Coleman got a hold of a nude photo of her That was taken when she was 12. Now, both of them were 12 at the time. Coleman said that if she didn't send him more, he'd send the photo to all of her friends and family. She refused. And Coleman sent the girl's nude photo to everybody she knew. When she was asked about his candidacy uh, for the Kansas House, she said, all I know is he's an awful person and he shouldn't be allowed to run for anything. A third girl said that he called her house over and over again to the point that it constituted harassment for months. Um, So, you know, after this comes out, this guy's only 19 and the usual leftist bro suspects immediately leapt to his defense saying we can't punish somebody for um, things they did when they were 12 because he was a child. And Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept even interviewed him and the interview was posted with the headline, Aaron Coleman, the 19-year-old Kansas progressive who won his primary in this troubled past and promising present. Hard to believe that Glenn Greenwald would think misogyny isn't a disqualifying character flaw in a politician. I am shocked. 
Um, so after this came out, you know, women raised the alarm saying like, look, he, yeah, it happened when he was 12, but he was only very recently 12. Also, the women hadn't, hadn't accepted his apology. Um, on Sunday, he announced he was dropping out. On Tuesday, he announced he was just kidding. He was back in and he blamed the progressive circular firing squad on his dropping out. But then later that day, The Intercept, the same outlet that published that glowing interview with him, The Rising Star, published a piece where they talked to an ex-girlfriend of Coleman's who said he choked and hit her within the last year. The outlet also has screenshots of text messages that are really shocking. I thought I was prepared. I was not. They're really horrible. So great work, everybody. Alyssa, what do you make of this story? And do you think the people that were defending Coleman as some kind of rising star learned their lesson to maybe listen to women who have reservations about misogyny? So Aaron, this one goes back to the old where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> yeah. It's just like so depressing because no, no one's learned their lesson. They're, they don't really fucking care. They care that they got called out. I don't know that they care that it happened. You know, I just, he, uh, you know, like I always talk about how much I love law and order because there's usually some sort of justice. Well, let me tell you, there's a common theme, law and order. When kids do real fucked up shit when they're kids, usually they do fucked up shit as adults. And that deranged behavior, if not addressed, follows them. And so this was only like seven years ago. Um, and I don't really feel like he's learned any lessons since when he got busted the first time for telling someone to kill themselves. Um, he was like, you know what? Psych, I'm back in. So no, I don't think anyone's learned anything. Yeah, I mean, I just, I can't begin to express, like, here's something that really drove me nuts about this story. When the story first came out that he was a middle school shithead, um, there were a lot of women who were like, look, I'm a progressive, but this is a little, this kind of sends me some bad signals. I'm getting a bad feeling. And it was like a bunch of leftist dudes who I politically often agree with. We're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Leave him alone. He was a child. He was a child. He was a child. It's fine. He learned his lesson when whatever people do when their children is, goes away, I guess. And, you know, I'm really exhausted having to, I'm really exhausted of trying to convey to people that are ostensibly politically on my side that reservations that women have should be taken seriously. Like, you know, we shouldn't just ignore misogyny and the pursuit of power because in that case, we are morally no better than the people that we are trying to unseat. And it, I don't know. I, I hope that at least some of the Intercept people are a little bit chastened by this because this is deeply embarrassing for them. It was like a life comes at you fast thing where it's like, Hey, this guy's look at the, look at this rising star. Whoops, the rising star is uh yeah, he was 18 when he did this other stuff. So whoops. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, like I guess if like I do think that people can outgrow stuff. I mean, I did stupid stuff when I was in middle school and high school. Um but like, I also just like didn't decide to run for something when I was 19. Like I did make sure that I had fully evolved before. I don't know. I did anything important, I guess. Um, so yeah, maybe, I don't know, Aaron, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a fucking Debbie Downer. Maybe they will learn something. Maybe they'll be like, fuck. I feel like there <laughs> has been, I mean, maybe they will be like, fuck, but, um, cause they should be like, fuck today because they did fuck up. Um, I think, um, 
One kind of encouraging sign I've seen is I think that people have gotten a little bit better over the last, you know, 10 years or so that I've been working in some form of media. They've gotten better at understanding what constitutes a good apology. Like um, Francesca Ramsey has made a video about like what a good apology looks like. And, and I think people have gotten better at like understanding that in order to make amends, you need to do some work and your apology needs to right. be accepted. You say you're sorry. And then the people that you wronged either accept your apology or don't. And right. they do, they have power over that process. Um, and also I think that, you know, if somebody has a history of doing misogynist things or, you know, racist or homophobic or troubling, uh, things, I think <laughs> that, I think that it's possible for somebody to work past them if they have actually done work, like restorative work and it just didn't happen. And I just, I hate how quick, uh, some men are to just assume that whatever happened to these women is not as bad in degree as what we would be depriving this man of by not letting him be the Democratic nominee. That is the fucking best way to put it, Erin. That is like, in a nutshell, that's it. I'm not adding anything else. That was it. Okay, good. Because I want you to add a ton to this next topic we're going to talk about. Oh, no. You know it's coming. Uh, We have to talk about the RNC because it happened. Um, My ears are still recovering from Monday's speech by the cocaine twins. Of uh, <laughs> all of the weirdness of the speakers aside and the boringness of the procedures aside, it was a ethical nightmare. Alyssa, can you explain all the ways that it made you cringe? Okay, a couple things. One, this is not an ethical thing, this is just bad judgment. One thing I thought that the was really complicated that the DNC executed well was getting voices from around the country into the programming every night. And these guys did it too, except they appear to have flown everybody into Washington, D.C. I mean, like, I guess the number one most meta thing is that there's nothing about their convention that has addressed COVID or shows that it's still a problem or is modeling good behavior. Okay. That was like my number one bugaboo. But my overarching bugaboo was that they have violated so many ethics rules that like, let me just say to everyone, you hear the Hatch Act talked about on Twitter and on TV and it's not like some obscure thing. It's like, It's literally like saying, like when you go to nursery school and they're like, don't bite other kids. It's about that basic. It's like, don't take the, don't take your position as a public servant, as a federal employee and do political witchcraft when you're doing your job, right? It's pretty fucking simple. And when we got to the White House, we took it so seriously because because it's important. And I'll never forget that when we were taking a flight on Air Force One, uh, President Obama needed to make a political call. And we were like, wait a minute, Scoob, who pays for that call if we make it from Air Force One? And they were like, like the government pays for it. And we were like, no, no, no. So we spent a lot of time and effort installing a political phone line into Air Force One that the DNC paid for so that political work was never done with the uh, public's money. 
So what these fuckers have done is, let's just like rewind a hot second to you. Everyone saw the unveiling of the new Rose Garden. I don't know what happened to them. I won't rest until I do. All the cherry trees are gone. Uh, Bikini wax, essentially. It got a Brazilian. The Rose Garden just got... A it got a, you're, that's exactly right. It got a Brazilian and it now looks like a, like a maze, like a creepy maze from space. And you <laughs> watched last night and you're like, oh my God, the trees are gone. And I can't say that they were directly related, but it's hard to say they're not. That Now that the trees are gone, there's a clear press shot from the residence to the podium in the Rose Garden Melania was utterly unobstructed. Could she have had that dramatic entrance if she hadn't taken away all the trees with government money? She definitely couldn't have. And that was bad. That was bad. But what was worse is the where's Waldo Donald Trump is doing in the White House with all of his vignettes that he's filming for the convention. So to clarify for everyone, there are places in the residence where they live that you can do some political activity where President Obama would walk all the way back to the house to make some political phone calls so that he wasn't making them from the Oval Office. If they had filmed some of this from the residence, from their home portion of the White House, I I maybe could have, I maybe could have been like, okay, they threaded the needle. Okay. Okay. But they didn't. He used uh, he used everything that you should not use. He, the president did a naturalization ceremony with the secretary acting of a Homeland Security as part of the convention. He pardoned someone. These are all official duties. And what's really fucking nuts about it, they're official duties that did not appear on his official schedule. So there is no argument to be made that these were done in any sort of like official capacity other than the president can do them wherever. He pardoned someone, which like, I'm fine with the guy being pardoned, not as a, as a, as a cameo in the RNC video. I mean, the whole thing, America, your money was used to execute a mediocre RNC event. If they're going to use my money, at least steam the fucking flags properly behind Melania, set up a shot that has some depth. Um, Also, For everyone watching, Mike Pence is going to be delivering his speech from Fort McHenry. It's a national park. It's not allowed. And the forklift they brought in fucking knocked something over there today. So it's like, what on? It's just, it's like their crimes are always out in public. So I don't know why this is shocking. I just like wish my money was not so directly used for their bad judgment and bad taste. Yeah. I mean, you really said it all from a position of authority. Um, but there are a couple things that I that I'd like to add. One, why was Melania dressed like Hitler last night? It was fucking weird. That was extremely weird. She we all know that she has weird fashion choices. And why was she dressed like Hitler? It was bizarre. Second of all, you know, I heard I heard some coverage of the RNC and Melania's speech. And, you know, like usual, people were like, oh, it was a speech calling for America to come together, blah, 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 blah. Look, the first lady is not a good speaker. She's not. She's not interesting. She doesn't have any like, you know, 
it has nothing to do. Like she's, she's not a good speaker. She's not interesting to watch. She seems bored while she's talking. She seems a little afraid while she's talking. And I think that it should be okay for people to point that out instead of fawning over it because she's not, she's not a good speaker. The speech was like lame ass platitudes. I was listening to it last night on the radio. Um, and I was imagining seeing it written out and how I would, if somebody had filed that to me as an editor, I would have just like crossed out entire paragraphs. Like it was a bunch of Miss America answers smashed together and it created a total alternate reality of what Donald Trump is. Now, second thing is I am very worried about Mike Pence's speech tonight because I'm not sure I can stay awake for that man speaking. <laughs> for he last night he did a I, I like couldn't focus on him. It was like looking at a roll of paper towels for five minutes. And it okay. And another thing, uh, Mike Pompeo, another ethics violator, um, on an oh. official oh. Essentially, like taking a family vacation uh, to to countries where we don't really have any diplomatic business to do, but now he's doing actual diplomatic business and using it to campaign for the president, delivering a speech in a tone that suggests he vastly overestimates his own charisma. He is <laughs> very unfucking charismatic, and he deeply believes that he will one day be the president. And I, for one thing, cannot wait for him to fall flat on his oddly sized neck. Wait, wait, didn't you call him a thumb? Because it was like the best thing I've ever heard because that's all he is. He's just, and you're so right. He stood up there with his chest puffed out and he's like, I'm going to give a foreign policy speech here from Jerusalem with Jerusalem behind me in my personal capacity. Oh God. It was like, you know, in, um, in Greece, when Danny tries to play basketball and he doesn't know the rules and he just runs down the court and looks very fucking foolish. That was Mike Pompeo's speech. It was like, none of this is landing the way you think it's landing, sir. And again, taxpayer money used to fund his bad performance. Yeah, he's um, the RNC is bad, but at least it's not interesting. You know, (laughs) that's true. It's it is deeply boring. Um, And, you know, even moments like the naturalization ceremony, which is a a significant moment in these people's lives. I've never seen a video of a naturalization ceremony that I haven't been moved by until last night. Donald Trump reads like anytime he's not being cruel, he sounds bored and he just sounded totally bored. And I just like, I was too uninterested to get that angry. You know? You know what I thought was, uh, speaking of bored, when Donald Trump was watching Melania speak, you could see in his head, he's like, wait a minute, the family got a memo. Every member of the family got a memo that said, when they speak about me, they're to say they love me 500 times, looking directly into the camera and say what a hero and champion I am of all the things I am not a hero or champion of. And he kept waiting. He's like, does she not get the memo? I mean, I know she didn't tell anyone. I like, I have her like in an ironclad prenup or anything, but like she was not, uh, I felt like she, while she, we were bored, he was anxious. <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm. where's my moment? And he didn't really get it. Melania could be the biggest star in the whole world if she just used her next live TV appearance to shit on her husband. If she wasn't a fucking birther, let's not forget. No, she's terrible. But I'm just saying that a lot of people would forgive a lot from her if she only 
said what was really on her mind. Um, do you want to get to a quick toast and roast before we move on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with a roast. Well, do it. actually, I'm going to, I'm going to roast this and donate it instead to the campaign of somebody who's going to lose their bid for Senate. Um, last okay. week, Arizona Senator Martha McSally, who has never won and she, she was appointed. She lost an election to the Senate and then she was appointed when the other Senator from Arizona retired. So she is in the running to lose a Senate seat for a second time. Real impressive against Mark Kelly, a literal astronaut literal American hero. Anyway, Martha McSally is, is lagging behind Mark Kelly in the polls. And last week, um, she said, uh, we're doing our part to catch up, you know, to get our message out, but it takes resources. So anybody can give, I'm not ashamed to ask to invest. If you can give a dollar, $5, if you can fast a meal and give what that would be. So Martha McSally is asking Arizonans. So in Arizona, a state where food banks are ramping up to be uh, unable to meet the huge needs of the population. Martha McSally is asking for people to skip a meal to fund her failing Senate campaign. Holy shit. Fuck that guy. Fuck Martha fuck McSally. That guy. She, I couldn't believe it. I had to read it so many times. Please yeah. don't eat. Give me your money. Give me your money instead of eating. Her, a campaign spokesperson responded, this is a dumb non-story about a candidate making a joke on the stump. Okay, bitch, if that was wasn't a joke, a joke. <laughs> you got to run that through several more open mics before you put it in your tight five. You are nice. <laughs> that is not funny. And I don't, what's the, what's the setup? Once, what's the punchline? Explain to me how that is a joke, Martha McSally. Um, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to neglect the state that I've adopted, Wisconsin, and I don't want to throw shade on Michigan, but Arizona is one of the states you can adopt through Crooked Media's Adopt-A-State. And if you adopt Arizona, you can help Mark Kelly defeat Martha McSally. And then you can eat a full meal and feel fine with what you've done with your time. It was really extraordinary. She's just the <laughs> Not fucking surprising because she's the worst. She's the but worst. Really something. It's real balls there. Yeah, real, real balls. Go astronaut, beat this awful person. Okay, do you have a, a toaster roast, Alyssa? I got a quick toast, something I really enjoyed earlier this week. You know, it's never a dull day when Katie Porter, AOC, and Ayanna Presley get to questioning people, mostly because they come so prepared. So earlier this week, they got the chance to depose, essentially, Postmaster DeJoy uh, at the USPS. And my two favorite things, because you know what it shows? That if women just even prepare a little bit, they can topple the dumbest man. And he, uh, Katie Porter's uh, stump question that truly stumped him was, do you know what a stamp costs? <laughs> he did not know, Aaron. He did not know. How can you even imagine he didn't know what it costs to send a postcard? Or I love when she got super tricky, a square envelope. The square ones, you know, the ones that need extra postage like that a we all know. Card. Right. Like a birthday card or like a so wedding invitation she, or a thank exactly. you card. Exactly. 
And so I super enjoyed Katie Porter. I really also enjoyed AOC, who, again, so prepared for the moment. But at the very end, the very end, she did some real public servant constituency outreach. And she asked him if he would please make sure that the wheelchair ramp they had been requesting at the USPS facility in Jackson Heights could sort of light a match under it. And I was like, girl, you go. So anyway, <laughs> in a world that's a dumpster fire, I took genuine joy in uh, in their in their questioning. Yeah, that was a delight to watch. But you know, what's really frustrating is like, what? Look, the only way that he suffers any consequences for, like, he literally did perjury. He like perjured. on <laughs> in, Like, the only way anybody suffers any consequences is if we get Trump out and we replace him with Joe Biden. And then we also get a better Senate and a, you know, ugh. Right. And yeah. I'd also just like to say I'd like to be postmaster general. I think I'd do a really good job. I think you'd I think you'd fix a lot of stuff. I think I okay. would too. Okay, let's let's take a quick break. When we come back, personal political. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay. We're back. We have reached the part of the show where Alyssa and I are joined by two wonderful panelists. First, I want to introduce, you know her, you love her. She's a writer. She's a luminary. She's wonderful. It's Riri Cheney. 
Oh my god, I'm luminary. You're wow. luminary. She's an outside. Uh, she's an outside girl now. Yeah, I like. I go to. Wi- I see wind. I see trees. I'm trying <laughs> to become like a real like a being an indoor kid. Pretending to be an outdoor kid is something I think everyone should just do. Like performance art is so important. <laughs> Honestly, it's a fake it till you make it. Like, you know, I, I hike a lot and sometimes I see people out there. The, you can always tell how much time somebody spends outside by how much like gear they have. Mm-hmm. The people that spend the least amount of time have like a camelback on a two mile hike. Oh, and yeah. it's like, oh, you don't need that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like I started, I think like the first time we did this back five, 12 years ago when all this started, <laughs> I would go walk around my walk around my neighborhood, like fanny pack, extra battery for my phone in case I got like stranded, <laughs> <laughs> like around the street. And fr- always afraid I was going to run out of water. Like what if I get dehydrated in the 45 minutes it'll take me to do this hour, this two and a half mile walk. It was I mean, bless my bless my spirit. <laughs> you know what? Dehydration is no joke, though. You do have to Thank be. Thank you, Erin. And I think not enough people talk about that. Keep your cells plump, <laughs> okay? You know, if your cells are plump, you'll be able to pump it up those hills. Hey, yes, there you go. That's a writer who said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to I want to introduce everybody to a special guest. Joining our panel today is a two-spirit member of the Narragansett tribe of Rhode Island. She is a competitive powwow dancer and a fierce and outspoken advocate for indigenous and LGBTQ rights. Please welcome Sharente Harris. Asquikwasanamas, everyone. Hi, thank you for having me on. Can you repeat that greeting because it sounded awesome? Asquikwasanamas. So that's uh, basically hello in our language. It's kind of way cooler, though, because um, it comes from our word for light, um, like the light of day, we cry. And so it's actually almost communicating, like recognizing the light within the people that you're talking to. So similar to a namaste kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, We're so happy to have you. Can you talk a little bit before we get started about competitive powwow dancing? So the uh, outfits that I wear on my Instagram, we usually call those regalia Mm -hmm. um, because regalia is our special clothing that we wear for these special occasions. Um, And uh, powwows are normally open to the public today. So I encourage everyone and anyone, if they haven't been to a powwow, to attend one. Um, It it is one of the uh, easiest ways to become exposed to Indigenous culture that is still going on in the modern day. Um, And we welcome people to come and learn about our culture through powwows. Um, So traditionally, the Narragansett people had 13 celebrations like Thanksgivings throughout the year. Everyone knows about the first Thanksgiving, (laughs) um, but our people had been having these festivals and celebrations, giving thanks for different harvests throughout the year. So uh, in the moon that I was born in, June is our strawberry moon, and we have a strawberry Thanksgiving. Um, And In August, we have our green corn Thanksgiving. Um, And so in our language, Pawas are medicine people. 
And those medicine people were very important at our celebrations. And today the word powwow has become synonymous with these intertribal celebrations today where Native people from across the country gather together to feast and dance um, and get back together with one another. Um, so dance is a huge part of these things. Um, and as time has gone on and things have become more and more flashier, um, competition has been added into the mix to make things more exciting. Um, so yeah, I absolutely recommend to everyone and anyone to come see the competition dancing at these powwows. You know, that sounds like so much fun. And it also kind of brings me to the topic that I wanted to talk about with the four of us today, because it seems like there's something really hopeful about going outside of yourself and experiencing another culture and reminding yourself that the things that are going on in your life aren't going on every single place. Um, but in a time mm. when it seems like the things that are going wrong in our individual lives are also the things that are going wrong everywhere, um, like, you know, having the president that we have, uh, the pandemic, for example, um, how do we find ways to be hopeful? How do we find ways to find hope or brightness? And, you know, especially in another week where um, an unarmed Black man was shot by police, it's really sometimes hard to see hopefulness and 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 happiness. And Riri, I know that when we started batting this topic around, you kind of came back saying that you weren't feeling all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, so, I mean, do you think hope is important to move past or to move past stuff like this? Or do you think that we need something else? I want to believe that, you know, hope is intrinsic in, in our human experience and you have to, you have to hold space in it and really protect it because it can be so corroded by the things around you. And, you know, I'm, I am that generation where the first person I got to vote into office told me to believe in something when I was 19 years old. And I really like worked really hard to do that. I'm older now and it's, it's gotten much more difficult. But I, since I sent that email from a very dark place, I have been thinking about it. And the thing I think that makes me punchy about it or makes me annoyed about it is because folk who are in marginalized groups, who know the reality of how their rights and their lives can be taken away, have no option but to be hopeful. Like there, I have to be hopeful to live my life. And because if I don't have it somewhere in here, then I am letting go my right to live and for the babies in my life to have their futures and for my communities and for the people I love to be seen as the equals and the, and the majestic mm -hmm. things that they are. And sometimes I think when I'm, a, when I'm faced with the question of like, do we need hope or, or how do we use it? I think my logical brain gets very like itchy because it's like, I don't understand why I have to have hope because my, my right to be here isn't like a hopeful thing. It's I mm -hmm. deserve to be here, which I guess is hopeful. 
But I don't think of it as that way because I've never for one second thought I didn't deserve the mm-hmm. life that I deserve. So if you think about that, it that way, we all have to be hopeful to continue and to like keep moving forward to take one step forward. So it is like somewhere in our mm-hmm. genetic DNA. That's the nice version of it. The other side of it, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck was going on. But I'm going to stick to the first part because it's a Wednesday. We still have a lot in the week. You know, a lot could happen. Sharente, I wonder how hope has played in your life. Because you're a boundary breaker. You're somebody that faced adversity as you were kind of expanding people's concept of who could dance what dances. And um, so, so talk a little bit about the role of hope in your life and where are you getting hope from now? Mm. Um, I mean, they, they say that hope is the, or expectation is the cause of all misery. And I I think that that absolutely is true, but that misery isn't something that we should uh, I don't know, feel like we need to keep distance from, but actually choosing to push through a kind of struggle um, and holding on to hope amidst all of that um, is really important if you ever want those hopes to come to fruition. So when I came out as Two-Spirit, Um, which for anyone that doesn't know, two-spirit is a modern-day term that uh, basically expresses the collective ideas of indigenous people, uh, our traditional values relating to LGBT people. The idea being that LGBT people uh, exist with the spirit of both a man and a woman and somewhere in between. Um, And so after coming out of the closet, I decided that I wanted to dance the fancy shawl dance, which is a women's dance. It was created during the women's rights movement um, and really shook things up within uh, the powwow circuit. And to me, it's always been seen as a dance of liberation. And yet when I first told my mother that I wanted to dance this dance, she told me no. And she said that I probably couldn't dance Fancy Shawl because people were not going to be accepting of me doing this dance. Um, Because, of course, today within Indigenous communities, colonization and hundreds of years of forced assimilation um, have bred a lot of homophobia and transphobia in what once was very accepting communities. Um, So hope is a prerequisite to um, my existence today as a two-spirit fancy shell dancer. Um, And Yeah, I had to go in knowing that my hopes probably wouldn't manifest instantly and that it would be a long, tumultuous journey. And what gives you hope now? I mean, given everything that's going on, 
What are you hopeful for and about? Um, I'm hopeful uh, that the Narragansett, our people will become more visible each coming day. Um, I feel like the things that bring me the most hope are little things, being able to uh, hear the names of my siblings in our traditional language, um, when for a long time that wasn't even a possibility to uh, have the outside world call you by uh, words in our language. Um, so uh, every day going out and uh, having the world see me, that those kinds of things are what make me hopeful because awareness is the first step to creating any kind of change with all of the issues that indigenous people and black people and brown people are facing today. Um, they all at a fundamental level go back to the fact that people outside of our communities can't see us um, and they don't recognize the problems that are going on to be able to change anything in the first place. Alyssa, mm. you know, we're talking about hope. And I think that since you worked for, you know, the president who ran on hope, um, I was wondering how your relationship with hope has evolved since you left the White House. Shit. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Even I am like so pure of heart in so many ways. I mean, maybe naive would be a better word. But even when we were on the campaign in 2007 and 2008, when people would say racist or bad things about Barack Obama, I was like, I'd get so fucking upset and wounded. Like, I couldn't believe this was the world we lived in, said the middle-aged white woman from upstate New York. And <laughs> Dan Pfeiffer, uh, God bless, he diagnosed uh, what we call my personality disorder, which is that <laughs> I am continually disappointed by people who will only disappoint me. And when Dan pointed that out, that that is fun, my fundamental character flaw, it helped me understand how to deal with life a lot better in some ways. Um, so when, you know, fucking Melania has been on television, she's one of the original birthers. And when we were going through this in the White House, talking about whether or not to release Barack Obama's birth certificate, I cried. I mean, I was like, no, we're not doing this. We're not going to give in to people. And they were like, Alyssa, just, it needs to go away. Just like dial it. Literally, they borderline called me hysterical, but they didn't. They stopped themselves. Um, so what I have tried to do over the years is find hope in the things that I can control, right? Like that's kind of the only way to not become totally hopeless. And so, you know, for me, you know, I have taken the energy that I would otherwise devote to a full-time job, which I haven't had since, well, beginning of COVID. And how can I do things for myself, right? If like, if we can only rely on ourselves, like how can I make myself more self-reliant? And so I have, um, I've spent the last couple of months 
teaching myself things that I never thought I'd knew. And I'm going to tell you the other day when the guy with all the machinery came over and was fixing something that I couldn't possibly fix myself uh, with a big combine type machine. Um, I said, hey, Oscar, the top of that pine tree, is that a weevil leader? And his brain exploded. I diagnosed a tree disease. I did a lot of research. <laughs> I didn't have to pay someone to come do it for me. Girl. And he was like impressed. And like, I was like, fuck, see, not all hope is lost. I can still do new things. And so I think that my hope is teaching myself how to do new things. And like, it takes a lot more effort than you think it would, old dog, new tricks. But, uh, you know, every day. And I, I give myself a giggle. It's like if I'm, we're all alone. I mean, I'm still, I mean, not that my husband's not here. I love him very much. But like, we have to spend time by ourselves or we'll go crazy. And so a lot of times I give myself a giggle out in the yard by myself where I'm like, there are those <laughs> tent worms again, motherfuckers. Um uh. So that's what wow. I do. That's my hope because I can't <laughs> let Donald I can't let Donald Trump, the garbage of the RNC, I can't let it define uh what is hopeful and all you have to do is is turn on the television for a thousand reasons to think everything's garbage. So, I find my hope in my garden that endured a 10-week drought and I kept alive. That's it. That's all I got. I I love that you are Dr. Quinn tree medicine woman. Like, that's so great. And I think there is there is something very true about like trying to figure out the things you control, try to figure out the things that like you can feel um uh like you're doing something for yourself or your community. I think I mean not to be a Debbie Downer, but it, the pro- the problem I'm having right now, and please talk me out of it, is that I don't, all of the things that can get me, I are not in my control. Mm-hmm. So it's like there, it's this virus that no one is caring about the brown and, and black bodies that are dying quicker. It's the fact that this man walked away and was shot in the back seven times. It's the fact that the the vigilante militant last night killed two people after being told by the cops, we appreciate you. So I'm having, when I look outwards and I know you have to measure how much you look out and how much you look in, it's so hard. It's so, so hard. And I and I realize how blessed I am to be able to like try to focus on what I can do for myself and like find the hope in those things and watch Smash that just dropped on Amazon Prime because it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> but I have to I have to figure out. I think a lot of people are having a hard time figuring out how to look at this country and this world right now with a hopeful. Actively hopeful, not like this is just we have to have hope to keep going. Otherwise, it is just going to burn down. Mm-hmm. But like to act, to be active in the way we uh, show hope or like embrace it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was thinking about that too. Like how much of my hope depends on other people modeling hope for me? And how much do I put it upon myself to model hope for other people? And at what point does that like modeling hope become disingenuous or destructive to me? Like, um, Sharente, you mentioned that there's like six kids in the house with you. And so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure they look to you and look up to you and people outside of your house look up to you and look to you. Do you ever feel like sometimes you are modeling hope that deep down inside 
you're a little bit conflicted about, or like you're, you're projecting hopefulness about the future and about positive change when really you're not quite sure deep down inside whether or not things are going to go the way that you want them to go? Absolutely. I think that um, it's actually been the people that I might have been a model to that have in turn like mirrored that hopefulness back to me. So simply the fact that um, I've had people from all across Turtle Island, um, young, queer, two-spirit people um, message me and show me them making a new regalia so that they can dance in a style that actually speaks to them as a two-spirit person. And there was a period where I was feeling very, very low and weak, like I, it wasn't even worth it to keep dancing anymore um, because of how much backlash I was facing from people. Um, And it was actually people reaching back out and proving me wrong um, that, I mean, this hope is like uh, a synergistic thing. Um, And I think what you guys have raised is really interesting because, um, you know, we usually do find our hope by like looking to others or I loved you talking about looking to things that we can control because it almost reminded me of like an act of decolonization in a way, because I mean, what is the big, uh, threat that um people that are trying to decolonize are facing it's it's this big machine of colonialism and uh you know the machine is uh coercion it's that which hides slavery from us and pushes it far away where we can't see it the labor is still there and still is probably much greater, um, but it's just far away from us so we don't see how our clothes are made or um, all of these different things. Um, And in focusing your attention on what can immediately be felt and what you can do yourself, I just think it's an incredibly beautiful and healthy thing to move us uh, away from this kind of um, dependence on these colonial systems that aren't really serving us the way we want them to. Putting our hope in that um, is almost destructive. It's, It's, like I said, like expectation leading to misery. I doubt that we will see anytime soon those systems uh, being reshaped the way that we want them. Can you talk a little bit more about like the role of like, what what do you mean by like decolonizing? Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because it seems like a really interesting topic. Yeah. So um, I think decolonization is what really brings me hope. And I mean, 
like I said, uh, speaking our language is an act of decolonization. But decolonization, at a fundamental level, it's feeling again. One way that you could think of colonization is almost the, this very cerebral um, categorization of things into ever smaller boxes, but never really identifying what things really are. And uh, I guess when I think about it on a level of like gender and these kinds of things today, when we think about like two spirits, a two spirit person can be what our Western world would call a gay man, but a two spirit can also be what our Western world would call a trans woman. And I feel like oftentimes these hyper levels of categorization, it's just a very different way of thinking and living. And in a way, it takes you away from really engaging on a, a, a human kind of level and not just based completely off of, I don't know, thought and ra- what's deemed rational thought. Um, so when indigenous people talk about decolonization, a lot of times it's bringing our traditional worldviews back to life um, in the face of what is the dominant Western society. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you know, as they would say at the RNC, chaos. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, the Republican convention, I think, is a real hope zapper, um, especially because you're just seeing a bunch of people on stage just making shit up, yelling, yelling weird shit. Um, <laughs> Riri, you texted me about the convention. Um, have you, has it been something that's taken hope away from you? Has the like rigid adherence to their version of reality um, kind of made you say uncle and give up on watching yet? Or like, where are you at with the RNC? I wasn't going there for for dictionaries and encyclopedias, you know. <laughs> like they, they're not my source of uh, uh, the well of what this country can be for me personally. I don't know. I I like um, to believe people's uh, humanity is worth something. It was. I mean, I watched it because we were doing this. Let's be honest. Like, if I was not here to speak to the you lovely people on your headphones, I would say in a subway, but we're not out. <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't have uh, engaged with it because, you know, it's it, it it's either me sitting there shaking my head, just cackling because like homegirl Kimberly was losing it, <laughs> or 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 I'm the smug coastal lead who on Monday night was like, oh, you guys could only get one stage, okay? Like it's all <laughs> just so bad, but <laughs> it's. I'm not, that doesn't change who I, like, how I look at myself, you know, or how I, like, think of my worth. Um, It's, yes, it's frustrating to see Daniel Cameron up there, you know, like, when so all summer people keep asking what's happening with 
the justice for Breonna Taylor, and he is standing up there saying that he shows the diversity of opinion for Black America. Yeah, that wasn't great for me mm-hmm. because you're you're full of shit. You know, you like you stand up there on this stage that is built on uh, hatred and the spreading of lies about the possibility that our our people, other people have. And you're saying you you speak for the Black population? I, like, that could have tipped me over. But as I've mentioned, I've been watching Smash, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's you know, so you take the tweet that you might have tweeted, like, obviously you don't have any Black friends because they let you walk out on stage looking that ashy. And you put that back into your body. And it's like, um, or were you, did you put an extra like silt of white face on to make them feel you are more on their side? Mm -hmm. I could have said that, but no, I kept it to myself. So it's, you know, I'm not going to get frustrated by it because I will never look at that group of people for um, validation or hope because my existence uh, threatens their way of life. So fuck them. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think part of it is the presence of people who go out there and, you know, speak at the RNC or, you know, speak against people having rights or speak in favor of, you know, women having to kind of like give their vote to their husbands mm-hmm. or whatever. Love that bitch. Um, I think that, Oof. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, it's just like, every time I talk, I think about her, I'm like, I just, okay, just yeah. hear deep breaths. Um, I think part of it is designed to take our hope away. Like what they want is for people like us to watch and to get discouraged and to get so angry that we're paralyzed and to get so like furious that we send out, you know, a mean tweet about how Tiffany Trump's veneers are three times too big for her mouth and she doesn't even know how to talk around them. But that was like, you trying to be you know, helpful, I, just, I think. <laughs> I, yes, I just, uh, that's, that's my whole thing is helping <laughs> Tiffany Trump. That's my whole thing. Um, but I think, you know, Alyssa, you know, you've worked in politics for long enough that you've seen elections that are hope-driven elections and elections that are fear-driven elections. And what do you think this election is? And what do you think will end up being the, what, what do you think will end up being the most effective way to change leadership? Well, one thing I think about watching the RNC and really paying attention to the things that Trump says and people who support him is that, like, we got to know what we're up against. Like, I'm not going to lie. I thought so much of what we're hearing now was kind of, like, gone. Like, eight years of Obama. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just saw very different things working inside that White House um, that left me with such... uh, thoughts of how much things had changed. And so that's, it's true in certain ways and it's not now. And I think that four years ago, we didn't believe that this was real. Like they were showing us who they were and we were like, come on now, it is 2016. It is not possible you're this backwards. And they were. And so I think that part of this election is They've shown us who they are. This is it. This is those people who took the stage last night were not being hyperbolic. That fucking asshole who talked about the smell of abortion, she is real. That is what she thinks. And if we want to like try to tell ourselves that that's not the case, uh, that's crazy. And people who consistently talk about polling and how, uh, 
you know, uh, Biden is ahead and like fucking stop. Just just like stop. Yeah. Like like Hillary was ahead, too. And she mm-hmm. won by three million votes. And it doesn't matter because he's our president. And so I think that for us, I have to see what they're saying because I have to stay mad um, because that's what like we we have to channel everything we see into action in the fall and voting in November because this is who they are this is it there's nothing fake about what we are seeing at the RNC this week every word that they are saying is what they believe it is what comes out of their hometowns it is what they're spreading in their communities and so uh i personally need to see it to stay vigilant because if I just thought that the world was me identifying disease in my trees, I might get soft and I can't. So <laughs> got you got to stay ready. Got to stay ready, ready, you know? I, I think that that was like one of my biggest <laughs> biggest things is that you you would think that the I thought that I did not think that the world entirely changed after Barack Obama was president that that racism was gone or that everybody was equal in everybody else's eyes. I didn't think that genuinely didn't think, though, that some of the stuff that we hear come out of people's mouths out loud uh, was something people would ever feel like they could say out loud ever again. And they do. And so, yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Fuck that guy. Going great. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Hardy. Fuck that guy. Um, Last question. Riri, what's stronger, hope or fear? (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Um, Well, fear is not a factor for you. Uh, this for joe rogan look at him i know um i want to say that hope is stronger i want to say it i really do because isn't that what i was supposed to say like look at this sweet person like fighting for their like right to be who they are like and i look at my you know my little sister and these munchkins i have in my life and i need to like other than buy them sequin shoes, I need to tell them that they matter and that they need to believe that with their chest, you know? And so that, oh my God, I'm not going to cry on this, but that makes me want to say it has to be hope. So I can't answer that it's fear, right? Mm-hmm. So. But even, even sometimes I think like, isn't fear what often can inspire hope? Like, I can I mean, does hope even exist without some kind of fear as well? Like, those things almost in my mind go hand in hand. I love that energy. Way. Let's do that. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think, I mean, so do you think that they're kind of two sides of the same coin or do you think one is more powerful than the other? Absolutely. I mean, just going right off of what you said, I'm thinking without me thinking it through, I, I would lean towards there almost two sides of the same coin. I mean, um, if, if there isn't something to fear, then what is there to hope for? Um, eh, and it's almost like, uh, a choice on what you focus on, maybe. So while the fear still exists just as much as the hope does, um, the hope isn't a prerequisite as much as the fear is, and then the fear may lead to hope. Um, Because I think 
often the fear can just consume you and there's no hope kind of left. But I think that's a deliberate choice. So now as I'm actually talking through it, I guess I'm saying the opposite thing that um, hope is a powerful choice in the face of fear. Um, Fear can just consume you, but it is a choice to uh, decide to be hopeful. That is really yeah. beautiful. <laughs> um, okay, we're 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 going to take a quick break, but first, Rente, can you tell people where they can see you dance and learn more about your work? Uh, absolutely. So, um, first and foremost, um, people should uh, check out my Instagram at Sharente S H E R E N T E. Um, that is probably what I'm most active on. Um, but they can also find uh, my TED Talk where I dance. Um, I, if you go on to um, LGBT History Month 2019 LGBT icons, um, I am one of those icons and they can find more information about me and the activism work that I've been doing. Um, and I am currently having a book and a documentary um, in the works. So keep okay. on for all of oh, that. That's awesome. Sharente, thank you so much again for coming by to hang out with us. And uh, we'll take a quick break. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Okay, before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. There are only a few weekends left between now and the election, which is crazy, so make them count. This weekend, Crooked's Adopt-A-State program is hosting a special weekend of action to help Democrats take back the Senate. Sign up to Adopt-A-State at votesaveamerica.com slash adopt, and they'll send you details about what you can do to help from home. Also, if you are a college student or you are a parent of a college student, next week we are planning an episode about the mess that is the education system in the time of COVID. We would love to hear your stories. You can get in touch with us at hysteria at crooked.com. That's hysteria at crooked.com. And finally, uh, the Jacob Blake story is deeply disturbing and upsetting. You can help Jacob Blake and his family by donating to the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, which is assisting protesters in Kenosha. Uh, There's also an official GoFundMe for Jacob Blake and his family. They're going to need all the support possible. You can donate and share at www.gofundme.com slash F as in free slash justice for Jacob Blake. And we will put all of this in the show notes as well. Okay, now let's get to the rest of the show. Welcome back. Riri and Alyssa are still with me, and we've reached the part of the show where we are going to take 
really strong stances about things that don't matter or maybe even shouldn't matter. It's, I feel petty. I'm feeling petty about something this week and I'm just going to get it off my chest now. I've expressed pettiness about this before, but watching the RNC, watching more cable news than I would care to normally watch, I just have to say this. Be really careful with injectables, especially if you are young. Once people start injecting shit into your cheeks to add volume to your face, you cannot go back. So you end up on this awful process where gradually your face swells and swells and swells and your eyes get smaller and smaller and smaller. And before you know it, you look like somebody who has gotten stung by a lot of somethings. I'm talking specifically about um, a lot of a, a lot of people in the Trump family. Um, I have uh, I've used Botox before. I've used it since I was like 33, and the reason I started using it is because I was on TV and that HD is not great. But Botox is something that is put into your forehead to paralyze you, and you don't want. You don't want too much because otherwise you start looking like Nicole Kidman and you need to have bangs to hide the fact that you can't emote. She's let it shake out though a little bit. She I'm, has I'm let on it Nick's shake out. Side. Yeah, the, they but, let it settle. Totally. But the point that I'm making is that when you go to somebody who's going to do shit to your face, you have to be really discerning. They're like artists. They have to make judgment calls. And like, I've known people before who've gone to the aesthetician and been like, put this in my face, put this in my face. And their aesthetician has been like, no, you're too young. You don't need it. It'll look weird. And once you start, you can't turn around. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just going to say anybody who is considering any injectables in their face whatsoever should take a look at what's going on at the RNC. And if you're under 40, you shouldn't <laughs> get stuff in your face that, because you will end up looking like a Trump. And that is not a good look. Not a good look. Tiffany Trump was up there looking like a five-year-old beauty pageant contestant, like in one of those really tragic toddlers and tiaras situations. And she's like 22. It's like, you just, you can't do that. You have to resist the urge to have shit injected into your face. And if you must go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that is what I, that is what I feel petty about. I love that. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I will say that because I watched a lot of entertainment today as a child, I know that between the pilot and the second episode of Designing Women, Dixie Carter got a facelift. And so <laughs> yeah. I have I have held that information into my spirit because I know she was in her mid-50s and that's when she did it. And I was like, you know what, girl? You've been trying to be like Dixie Carter your whole life. So just like have a plan. Um, <laughs> uh, so real. Get your body done on the West Coast. Get your face that's done so, on the East Coast. That's my so only So funny. <laughs> my inner being is more Delta Burke. <laughs> See, and that's why the reboot would be fierce with us. I think... <laughs> I think it would be dope. I mean, who doesn't want a pig named Noel? I mean, honey, those peplum skirts, it was the height. And her and you hair. You can really have a monologue on a on a network comedy. That's where I, my time would have been. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, be kind to your lips, everybody. <laughs> totally. Yeah, don't put anything in your lips. Your mouth, Oof. people will be able to tell. That's another thing. There's never been... I and I say this with kind and 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 loving to my heart. White ladies, there has never been a time y'all have gotten fillers that we didn't know. 
So just keep that in the keep that in the new again. Keep that in your in your Steve Nugent. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? Uh, mine's Trump related too. Okay, do it. So here's the thing. This is like a personal plea to Donald Trump to please, <laughs> please just text your kids that you love them or find them acceptable because like the therapy that we're living through by watching them <sighs> cry to you directly into the camera, plead with you to understand how much they dear leader you so that you will potentially say something nice about them in your speech. So Tiffany girl, he still doesn't know who you are. Okay. Mm. He doesn't, he doesn't. Eric, I love that you tried to be Don Jr. Don Jr. I love that you try to be your pop, but like you're all fucked up. And I mean, I wish you could just keep it to yourselves. So Donald Trump, please just text them that you know that they're your children so that we can stop (laughs) enduring uh, this tragedy. I just had a thought of like, what is the chain that doesn't have Ivanka on? Like, like, does every do they keep adding Ivanka to the chain and it keeps saying Ivanka has left dropped the off? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, has to be. look at the children were staggered in order of priority, I guess, and so Ivanka, <laughs> she coming right? She's, she tonight. She yes, went there tonight, Thursday. Right? I don't know. I, I don't like. Know. I, All I'm I saying is she's getting a better night. And so they must she did I mean, get a better night. be aware. I, I mean, I, her booker knows when she should be. Yes, <laughs> totally. Totally. Her handlers. Um, her handlers. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, the RNC is down in ratings significantly over the DNC, mm-hmm. partly because mm-hmm. it's very fucking boring. Um, yeah. Very. No, no, no pizzazz. Nothing. Not, nothing interesting. Um but I was thinking, you know, if Donald Trump really wanted to boost ratings, he could have, you know, one of his alleged secret children give a speech on Thursday leading into him. I think that would be cool. I mean, we love uh, it sweeps, bro. You yeah. got to jump yeah. a shark. <laughs> you want attention. You got it. You got to go for the attention. Another thing I wanted to talk about with you guys, and I feel petty because this is very petty, but what was wrong with Don Jr.'s face? Yeah. That, the that's lean in his eyes? That's a mix of... And um, I think there was something, I think he got also fillers. Like, I think there's like, this got tight, so he couldn't move his lids. Yeah. There was like lid immobilization happening. (laughs) We're Um, like, CSI, what happened to your face here today? Oh my God. And like, that's the thing too. Like, that was, that's the thing too. Like, I feel like my feminism means that I shouldn't judge other people's choices because the pressure of like outside beauty and being in the public eye is very very overwhelming. My issue is that I prefer people with taste level to know what they should and shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And also it's a sign that you don't have good people on your side if that's the work you're doing. (laughs) And I don't, I don't want to trust people whose homies aren't going to be like, yo, you can't blink, bitch. Like that's (laughs) not who I need in front of me. Okay. So like, and team no friends, people who don't have friends end up on stages like this screaming for daddy to text them back. So the truest. That is extremely true. That's maybe the truest thing I've heard since the last very true thing that one of us said 10 minutes ago. Um, (laughs) My theory, and I think, Alyssa, I don't remember if it was you or if it was you, Riri, that I was texting about this. I think it was Preparation H. I think Don Jr. Yeah, you told me Preparation H. Yes. Okay. Because like Preparation H is like an old 
trick for depuffing yeah. your eyes. If you're mm-hmm. like, if you just had a big night and you got to do something on camera, you put a little like preparation H to depuff. And I think they maybe just like rub, like smeared it on. He had some yeah. smears. He blinked some in. Yeah. They're so awful. It's so bad. And it also is like, I'm all, and it's so annoying to me because I'm like, you didn't know this was coming. Like here also exactly. that's the thing too, which has been like across the board. Everyone has gotten their their work done to their face in the last three days. And I this Precisely. is a rule I have about the Golden Globes, is because the Golden Globes is always the first Sunday back. And I'm like, get your shit done before you go away for your holiday vacation. So it's settled by the time you're on a red carpet. Mm-hmm. You guys have been talking shit about this RNC convention and also the DNC convention, but y'all mm-hmm. have been talking about these conventions for months. You didn't know to make that appointment in July. That's on you, okay? Yes, like, yes. that's stupid. People don't schedule well. That makes me angry. You know how <laughs> you know how mad it makes me. Planning. Oh, honey, have a plan. Preparedness, uh, right? Be prepared for hurricanes and the Golden be Globes. Be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> hurricanes, the RNC, and the Golden Globes. Very, <laughs> quite a journey. Um, Riri, do you want to bring us home with what you're feeling petty about this week? <laughs> I mean, honestly, any of the, you all could just reclip anything I just said. But um, <laughs> the one, I have two that are really stupid. So the, I guess I'll do this one. Steve Bannon being arrested on a boat last week, which lol, what a, what a <laughs> vibe, honestly. And at first I was feeling upset that he wasn't arrested this week because once again, I think that's poor planning. <laughs> but on the flip of it, the fact that he was telling people that he was, quote, at sea makes me so mad because I, like, that's so fucking stupid. You a pirate? Oh, you a captain? <laughs> like, that's so dumb. Like, you L. Ron Hubbard wanna be motherfucker? Like, come on, bro. Like, I've seen the master, okay? And you could not get Amy Adams. And I think we need to be on record about that. <laughs> so that's how I feel. My other one was Jerry Falwell ruining the Fontainebleau for me. But both of these are just <laughs> upsetting to my body. Also, hilarious. Oh, my God. The at sea comment was so funny because when at you hear sea? a man talk about being at sea, you picture like a woman in a window, like wistfully looking out across, you know, past the lighthouse yeah, and into the like bay. Yeah, waiting for you. Yeah, when will he return? <laughs> She's got a handkerchief embroidered or whatever, and it's like... She died from her tears and her heartbreak in her lighthouse. <laughs> it's like, nah, dude, she was at, like... She was in Midtown chilling. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, nobody oh was God. like, stop, come back, please. I'll cry tears and you can sail home on them because uh, nobody cares. I mean, we've thought, of, I mean, Aaron, we've, been, we've texted about this a little bit about the, like, dudes who look like that really, like, the expectation they have in their head of like women really like waiting and fainting for their arrival. <laughs> and there and there is that like idea of like as an adventurer, I have <laughs> left people in my wake. But upon my return, a hero's re- welcome I will receive. It's like, <laughs> nah, dude, you stole money from the wall from a GoFundMe, apparently. Like you like unbelievable. It's a, it's a uh, I mean, it's a perfect in this time, story. in this um, time of unprecedented use of GoFundMe and having the post office arrest him, it was fun. It was a fun day for me. Um, <laughs> that's what got my giggles going. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see what else happens in that story. I'm sure the next chapter will be at least as interesting. Okay. 
Listen, Riri, thank you so much for hanging out with me this week. Thanks to Sharente Harris for coming by as well. And thanks to you for listening. There will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Get, get me some Give them a